Hi, I'm Connie Loises. And this is Alex Gove. And this is Strictly VC Download. Happy Friday. It is May 8th. Is that right? And uh, we are back. A week has passed. The news has not slowed down a bit, even if we are increasingly confused about what day it is living in this COVID-19 moment. Alex, you and I talked about this. These numbers are a little bit grim, but we have to talk about COVID-19 and the related chaos that it has created. Yeah, we felt that it would be almost indecent not to talk about COVID-19 Sometimes it feels like in technology, we're on an island and we hear news about startups that are receiving funding and tech companies that are expanding and investing in new platforms in the US or abroad. But in reality, the overall picture continues to be very grim. The death toll in the US is now 76,000. The worldwide death toll is in excess of 270,000. And the jobs numbers came out today and the unemployment rate rose to 14.7%, eclipsing the previous record of 10.8%. That's a huge number, a drop of 20.5 million jobs, basically wiping out a decade of job gains in a single month. Wow. So it's a huge number. Of course, it's not quite at the same level as the Great Depression, but it's unique in the sense that it's happened just so rapidly as we've all experienced We don't want to cast too much of a downer on this podcast, but we had to mention what's going on. Because it happened so quickly, I think we're all wondering, could it possibly bounce back equally quickly? Among the tech people that I talk with, I'm definitely sensing optimism that I didn't hear a week or two ago. There's such a restlessness among everybody to get out there. It could be a quick recovery, but we just don't know. Right. And it's because we don't know that we are continuing to see these massive layoffs. This week, Airbnb delivered some tough news to its employees. It said that 1,900 people, which is a lot of people, will be laid off. That's 25% of its 7,500-person workforce. Certain groups are going to be impacted more than others. Apparently, they had a studios business, which I didn't even know existed. They also had an arm, uh, Lux, which was Airbnb's, or I should say is, uh, it's foray into super luxury travel. And I think maybe that one is being paused, but not killed off. These layoffs follow Lyft's layoffs of last week, where it slashed 17% of its workforce. Earlier this week, of course, Uber, who was rumored to be making a big cut, made the announcement that 3,700 employees or 14% of its staff are being let go. And it cited, of course, decreased trip volume, which is no big surprise. That's definitely hard news for these three companies, which were some of the highest flying companies of the last five to 10 years in the tech space. I guess the question is, can they fully recover? And maybe they can. It's certainly an open question, but you sort of see a light at the end of the tunnel and Uber's earnings, which were announced yesterday. CEO Dark Khosr Shahi, whose name I always stumble over, said that revenue rose 14% from a year earlier to $3.54 billion. That slightly beat average analyst forecasts of $3.51 billion, which is really surprising considering everything that's going on. He said that ride volume was down by 80%, but what really saved the company is its delivery business, Uber Eats. Those bookings were up 54% for the first quarter as more people stayed at home. I thought that was really amazing. I mean, I've 
talked with earlier investors in Uber in the past, and they'd said that they expected Uber Eats would become a much more important part of the business. Of course, that was before COVID took hold in the US. So who could have anticipated that it would become so reliant on this business? But it's it's certainly interesting. Also, apparently, it spent more time focusing on its Uber freight trucking service for delivering goods across the country. But I think what had shareholders even more excited about the company is it said it's already starting to see ride volume rise. So just as we were saying that people are talking a little bit more optimistically about uh, getting back into the swing of things. Apparently, people are also starting to take some rides again. Of course, we can't do a podcast without talking about Amazon. This week, Amazon quietly rolled out an Uber for trucking service to 48 states in a bid to become a digital freight broker. It's a pretty large space, around $74 billion, and there's no major player in the space. According to a report by Bank of America, the 20 largest brokers control less than 50% of the market. And it's a very strategic space for Amazon, of course, because it ships billions of packages every year. So it's a way for them to not only get more access to freight delivery trucks, but also to expand into a new market. It's really interesting. I think in Silicon Valley, especially, we're all very focused on a couple of upstarts in the space. One that comes to mind most immediately is Flexport, which is a San Francisco-based company that is valued in the multiple billions of dollars and has received a lot of attention in recent years. And I think that the company may have anticipated this was coming. I saw an old interview last year uh, with CEO Ryan Peterson, and he was really stressing that Flexport is a neutral commerce platform compared with, you know, like an Amazon. He'd said basically that it was neutral in the sense that they didn't sell the products that compete with their customers the way that Amazon would. I think it's really interesting that Amazon was only shipping for brands that were selling or buying within its platform, but it's expanding beyond that. And I also do wonder what impact it will have on companies like Flexport, because that company already laid off 3% of its employees back in February, and that was even before COVID-19 took hold. The Bank of America report said that there are some new entrants like Flexport that are gaining a lot of scale with better technology and price transparency. So there is room for them, it seems, in the market, but it's certainly not a good day for them to hear that Amazon has expanded so broadly. And not only is Amazon competing with them, but it was a customer. It was apparently its sixth biggest customer at some point, so that also hurts. So speaking of Amazon, another company worth touching on, one that has ambitions that are just as big as Amazon, is Geo Platforms in India, G-O-J-I-O. I think a lot of people in the U.S. are probably trying to understand what this company is and why it's so interesting, because it's been in the headlines a lot over the last month. I'm trying to get my head around it myself, but Geo is a spin-out of Reliance Industries, which is India's largest privately owned company. It's got interest in oil and gas, retail and telecommunications. And last year, I think I'd seen that it had $82 billion in revenue, which is a lot. So how Reliance came to own and grow Geo is a complicated story that dates back about 10 years. And Fortune has a great background on this, by, by the way, that's worth reading. But suffice it to say that by 2016, this company, Geo, had built a nationwide 4G broadband service network in India that offered cheap data rates and free domestic calling and sort of quickly became the dominant telco in the country. 
But of course, as with all these companies, why stop there? So it has since expanded into other things. Um, it's gotten into digital currencies and education. It plans to open a university next year. It also, I think in 2017 or 2018, started selling these feature phones that offer like an internet connection, but little else. But already, I think within a year of their introduction, commanded one-fifth of India's total handset market. Now, speeding up to 2020, it's making a big push into e-commerce. And so some U.S. companies and firms are jumping into the business. That's where the headlines come in. Just yesterday, the private equity giant Vista Equity Partners said that it's buying a 2.3% stake in the company. It's paying $1.5 billion for it. That makes Vista the largest investor in Geo after its parent company, Reliance. And after Facebook, which said late last month that it's buying 10% of the company for $5.7 billion. And that deal was followed a few days afterward by Silver Lake Partners, which invested $753 million in the company. So there's a lot going on around this company all of a sudden. And I think a lot of it is that these U.S. investors see an opportunity to compete with Amazon and also Walmart-controlled Flipkart in India. It's a huge market, but Geo has an advantage because recent regulations in India favored domestic partners like Geo. So I think this is exactly the kind of company that will end up producing, you know, the super apps that you use to do everything, shop, message, do your banking, you know, I guess ultimately communicate with your teachers. So I think this is probably a company that we're all going to become much better acquainted with in the next year and coming years. I have to admit that I was only vaguely familiar with Reliance Industry. I knew that the CEO owned a huge place in Mumbai, and I looked it up. It's actually 400,000 square feet. 400,000 square feet is mind-bogglingly enormous. That's almost as big as the Louvre. But speaking of people who have big properties and I guess are getting rid of them, what's going on with Elon Musk? Well, there's a really interesting story in the Wall Street Journal today about how he might be cash-strapped. There's no question that Musk is a multi-multi-billionaire. His fortune is estimated to be in excess of $40 billion when you add in all of the companies that he's founded, Tesla, SpaceX, etc. But he loves to hold on to his stock, and also he doesn't have the same sort of stock structure as companies like Facebook. So he needs to maintain a certain level of ownership in the company in order to maintain control. That level is 20%. And if he dips below that for any reason, then he could trigger a series of very unfortunate events that could cause a lot of panic among investors. But Musk has pledged a lot of his Tesla shares, 54%, as collateral on loans. And the reason the Wall Street Journal was writing this article is that Musk just passed an important milestone for his compensation package, which entitles him to claim over $1 billion in gains. But to do that, he would need about $590 million to exercise the option. So there's a question about whether or not Musk's statement earlier this week that he wants to sell everything, all of his earthly possessions, is connected to that. That's interesting. But he does have a lot to sell, right? How many does, How many homes does he have? I know he's got like a compound or three in Bel Air. He has so many homes. But it's interesting. He says he wants to sell all of his stuff, but he's putting all of these strange conditions on the sale of these properties. For example, he says that if somebody buys the Gene Wilder property that he owns in Los Angeles, they can't do anything to change its spirit. <laughs> and he said on Twitter that 
he doesn't need the cash. He's devoting himself to Mars and Earth. <laughs> well, also, I hope he's dedicating himself to his new son, who I think arrived this week and has the world's strangest name. Uh, what is it? A12? AX? XAE12, something <laughs> like that. Apparently, that was his partner Grimes' idea, but they haven't been able to agree on how it's pronounced, apparently. Either way, congratulations to the couple. And now, time to move on to this week's guests. We were wondering who listeners might want to hear from this week, and we realized that in this market, the most valuable insights might come straight from recruiters. In fact, I've been talking to a number of them this week anyway for a story that I'm going to be publishing on TechCrunch any second now about who is hiring, if anyone, and how pay packages are changing. So more in a minute with conversations we had for the podcast with two recruiters, Terry McFadden, who is a longtime recruiter with Norwest Venture Partners, and Sam Hooley, a longtime recruiter and partner with Riviera Partners in Silicon Valley, which is largely focused on placing engineers with the right companies. But first, a word from our sponsor. Coming up, from September 14th through September 16th at San Francisco's Moscone Center, TechCrunch Disrupt, the biggest tech event in the industry, featuring all new digital passes that allow you to attend from wherever you are in the world. Disrupt Digital Pro and Digital Startup Alley passes will give attendees access to exclusive content beyond the Disrupt stage, the ability to interact with speakers, and the opportunity to participate in Crunch Match, where you can network with your fellow industry attendees in advance of the event. You won't want to miss this special once-a-year event. To register, check out TechCrunch.com slash DisruptSF. That's TechCrunch.com slash DisruptSF. Terry McFadden has been the vice president of talent at Norwest for more than 11 years. I've had the pleasure of talking with Terry a number of times over the years. Terry, thank you so much for making time for us today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Terry, explain to us what you do for Norwest exactly. <laughs> That's a big question. So the role itself when I joined uh, was predominantly focused on helping our portfolio companies grow at the executive level. And so helping them to find the best talent we could to fill out their executive ranks. And the role definitely has grown more broadly than that over the years. And I like to think we provide some pretty strategic guidance for our portfolio companies across just the growth of their business in general at all levels and how we map their talent needs to that growth. And so that's how we frame the function uh, and how we support our portfolio companies. How many executives do you place a year at your portfolio companies? We definitely in the last few years have had more searches than our team itself could probably handle. I think before the downturn with COVID happened, we had about 160 open active executive level searches in our portfolio clearly more than my team at Norwest can handle. Terry, how has that number changed, I guess, in the last two months? Are you doing any searches at this point? 
we are. So the good news is, uh, I think we have a great group of companies and there is still some hiring going on. I would say that number has cut more than half. And that is not sole cancellations, but in a lot of cases, just putting searches on hold or on pause to see what happens in the next couple of quarters. Who's hiring and are they bringing aboard new members or are they, in some cases, perhaps more cases, replacing people on staff? It's a combination of both. I would say we actually have uh, some companies that are continuing to hire roles like customer success, which is a big focus right now, making sure that existing customers don't churn and that the existing customers are getting the, the service and level of support that they need. VP of sales is another area where we are continuing to see some new searches. The one maybe replacement area that we're seeing and some growth area for, for companies that are focused maybe on building out more products during this time is engineering. So those are probably the, the areas where I'm still seeing new searches pop up. That's interesting. I had reported on a company last week, I believe, that had cut its entire customer success team. I imagine that that was one of the first places to get cut during a downturn. It, does it matter if it's an enterprise company versus a consumer company? It might, yes. So when, when I say customer success, it's more geared towards SaaS model companies, which if their customers churn, that means a loss of revenue. And in terms of engineering, tell me a bit more about what you're seeing, who's being hired, and maybe whether or not salaries are being impacted. So interestingly, I do think that salaries will be impacted. I anticipate in the next six months that salaries will likely come down 10 to 20 percent. I think in part this is being driven by the fact that we are seeing salary reductions in general in companies that are in that 10 to 20 percent range. Whether or not those come back by the end of the year or not, I'm not sure. Terry, are you feeling or are you seeing the impacts of these layoffs? I'm just wondering if the market's being flooded with well-qualified candidates that you have nowhere to place, if there's an opportunity here for you or there's your hands are sort of tied right now. First of all, my focus is at the executive level, and the number of executive level hires clearly has dropped off dramatically. So I don't have as many current active needs in the portfolio at that level. I do think below that level, with some of our portfolio companies right now, they're in hiring freeze. So I'm not seeing a big push to hire across the majority of, quite frankly, the venture community. But I do think as things open back up, there will be a good push to bring in really significant talent because I know that really great talent has been laid off in the last two months. And so I do think that that is an opportunity for companies to bring in talent that they might not otherwise have been able to command a few months ago. In terms of pay packages, you mentioned that engineers aren't yet seeing a drop in offers. How are pay packages changing for other people? Are they basically what they might have been two months ago, but there maybe is not the bonus? 
So what I have been seeing is a couple of things, particularly in startups. One, we are seeing salary reductions. Those, for the most part, have been done fairly thoughtfully around levels. So definitely it is impacting the executive level more than others. And I've seen trends where, for instance, the executives would take a 20% pay cut but others in the company would only take a 10% pay cut and anyone below a certain salary level would see no pay cut. I do also think that there are some functions that have been hit harder in terms of reduction in force. So companies that are cutting back marketing spend, for instance, have probably laid off a larger portion of their marketing group. So there are definitely some functions that maybe are getting hit harder than others in terms of layoffs, but in terms of salary reductions, what I'm seeing is more about your level than a specific function. Just on a a positive note, I did want to say that there are some companies, quite frankly, that are doing well right now. And I think there are some companies that are poised to get through this challenging time in um, a strong way. And so it's not all doom and gloom. I think there's two categories of companies that, again, are poised to do well long term. And one, just generally speaking, are those companies that are in the very early stages that are focused on product development and probably are going to be hunkered down for the next nine to 12 months building out their products. And then there are some business models that we think are actually going to do quite well. And as a fund, we'll be keenly focused on some of these new business models, so workplace productivity, collaboration tools. We're even seeing it on the consumer side with companies like Madison Reed, which does hair coloring that's shipped directly to your home. I do think that in general, companies are beginning to think about what does life look like after COVID, and it is going to look different. So that's a look at what's happening within the executive ranks of startups, where, as Terry said, demand has really dropped off, but where startups may already be eyeing talent that's newly available in the market. And now on to our conversation with Sam Hooley of Riviera Partners. Sam talked to us about the engineering market in particular and the challenges that engineers are facing right now, along with the changing scene for computer science students and recent graduates. So joining us today is Sam Hooley, who has been a partner with Riviera Partners for the last six years. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. I thought to start, you could maybe walk us through what types of job searches you do primarily, what roles you're hired to fill, and for what types of companies. Sure. Uh, Thank you for having me. Um, So Riviera Partners focuses specifically on engineering product and design talent, so anybody in the product development sphere from director to C-suite, and then also on the individual contributor level and the engineering side. We work nationally. We are headquartered in the Bay Area with offices in New York, Los Angeles, Atlanta, Chicago, Boston, and folks throughout the country. We've been around since 2001 and have done some of the seminal engineering and product and design searches in what I'll call the Valley, but also in New York and LA as well. And so we work on primarily engineering product and design leadership searches as companies are scaling anywhere from a series A company that's just finding product market fit to public companies, private equity backed companies, spin-ins, buyouts, as well as digital transformations for companies that are trying to 
reinvent themselves in a new era. Great. So Sam, can I ask a little bit about the state of your business today? How many searches were you doing a year ago at this time? And how does that compare with this moment right now? What we're seeing in the market is that the companies with the strong hands are continuing to hire. We have had some searches go on hold, as you can expect. We have also just recently had some searches come off of hold, too, as as companies are able to have a little more predictability into their long-term business models. Obviously, there are some companies we were working with who have been affected by COVID and its after effects, which are inevitable, especially in industries like travel and hospitality and things like that. But we're cautiously optimistic, if you will, about how things will proceed after this. It's really on a week-to-week basis. If you're a company operator, what is your your sales pipeline look like, your revenue projections, how are you hitting them? So I think it just requires a lot more reforecasting. But I guess the, the long and short of it is the companies who are in strong businesses with strong operating models and strong fundamentals are continuing to need leadership. So just pushing a little bit on that, are you saying that your business is essentially where it was last year? Or has it risen or declined by any meaningful percentage? We have fewer searches than we had last year, but that's to be expected. Where we were pleasantly surprised is it didn't decline by the amount that some of us thought. We continue to see new searches coming in. I think what we're seeing is companies are doing them internally for a little longer as a method of cost savings, which is always a smart move if you're an operator. Sam, you mentioned that companies are hiring. I'm wondering if they are bringing in new people to the payroll or they are more or less replacing employees, given that there's talent that's suddenly free in the marketplace? I think what you'll see, and we'll continue to see this going forward, is they will probably subsist with reduced headcount for a little while until such a time as they have more predictability in terms of their forecasting, right? It's a one-to-end problem. If there's one leader, that leader needs N number of folks. And so I think on our leadership side, we're still seeing that hiring growth to be consistent. On the non-executive side, I think that's where companies are making do with fewer people, unfortunately, and they have had to make some hard cuts. And there are some really good people, engineers, finance, marketing, who are on the market and are looking for jobs. And what we are hearing is those people are finding jobs because there are some good companies out there who can use them. I think we will continue to see that for a while. We just published um, a study of post 9-11 job uptake. And it took roughly 12 to 15 months. And this is in tech, 12 to 15 months after 9-11 for that market to reach equilibrium. On the one hand, there are a lot of young companies that have raised money and are building their products and need engineers. On the other side of things, we see companies like Lyft and Airbnb and Uber laying off thousands collectively of employees, including engineers. I'm just wondering, are there enough new jobs for these engineers to head to? And if not, what does that mean for the next perhaps six to 12 months for engineers? Yeah, it's a good question. Unfortunately, I don't think so. I don't think it will be that way for a while. Uh, Some of the companies that had really staffed up in engineering and product development had to reduce headcount and they had to do it to people who are, you know, strong. I guess the jury's out as to how many companies will be created. After every downturn, some seminal companies have been created, right? That does take a while, though. And so I think the people who are job seekers should expect to be looking for a while. It could be up to a year to find that right match. And right match means a bunch of things. 
But sometimes it also means that they will be looking in a different industry or possibly a different geography than they have been. One thing that we have seen recently is that the possibility of remote work, which I think we're all now working through, we're seeing some openness on company side as to whether after you know everybody in shelter in place is, uh, is lifted and everybody's back in the office, what that means. What does the office mean? Does it also mean that people aren't in physical offices, but they might be in geographies or are they outside of the geography? So I think that will be the most meaningful impact that all of this will have is the, the topology of work. Um, and so if you're an engineer and there's a job in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you could maybe live in a place that you weren't able to live before because that job wasn't uh, supportive of you living somewhere not in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Sam, another recruiter that I talked with this week mentioned that salary offers for engineers are basically the same right now, but she expects them to come down by 10%, 20% maybe this year. I'm wondering, are you seeing the same? Do you have a different estimate? And also, what about perks and bonuses? How are those changing? Are those disappearing entirely? I would agree with the fact that there's a slight dip in some cash. Although what I would say is for engineering product and design, that actually happened before all this took place. So we were seeing some movement in that prior to COVID. And so compensation packages in general in engineering product and design for good companies have stayed roughly the same with maybe a slight imbalance towards equity. But our data doesn't show that much has changed. I think at the end of the day, a good company still needs a good leader. And the market has been relatively flat on that. That's a month-to-month metric. We don't expect to see too much there. The balance of who is a stellar engineering leader two months ago to two months from now, is not going to change too much, right? Also, Sam, I was wondering about students entering into their senior year this fall. Should they expect to see any changes in terms of job offers compared with maybe what students might have been presented with last fall? It's unfortunate, you know, through a bunch of different groups I'm involved in, personal and professional, there are people who are graduates from good programs with good courses of study who have had offers reneged from good companies, right? So I do think, unfortunately, college grads will be impacted by this. I've heard guidance anywhere from take a gap year to just find a job, right? And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Personal circumstances are going to kind of govern that. But I do think the college graduates and grad school graduates are going to probably have to be a little more flexible than maybe they had thought, unfortunately, even several months ago. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and read the newsletter every day. It's good for you.